Well, let's head to Sri Lanka uh, now. The president has fled the country, plunging uh, a country already reeling from economic chaos into more political turmoil. Protesters have been demanding a change in leadership. They trained their ire Wednesday on the prime minister and stormed his office. Uh, President Gotabaya Rajapaksa and his wife left aboard an Air Force plane bound for the Maldives. It's not clear where he is now. And he made his prime minister the acting president in his absence. That appeared to only further anger people in the island nation. Sri Lanka has been gripped for months by an economic disaster that has triggered severe shortages of food and fuel. Air gas leveled against protesters enraged by the country's devastating economic crisis. Fuel and food shortages are now commonplace. The protesters defy it. Sri Lanka's president had seen enough. He and his family hopped onto a military plane and flew off to the Maldives. His prime minister is now in the hot seat. Protesters have breached the presidential and prime ministerial compounds as well as the state broadcasting. Tom Rivers, ABC News at the Foreign Desk. And here's the other issue. Now, of course, Sri Lanka has a unique set of circumstances to some extent, uh, uniquely badly managed over the past while. But these sorts of anger, this sort of anger about rising prices, about affordability, about other issues around what we're seeing worldwide with supply chains and inflation and so on is not unique to Sri Lanka. Uh, many lesser developed countries have been hit hard by those rising prices and higher boiling costs and so on as um, you know, the global economic recovery and the war in Ukraine continue and people are turning those frustrations against their rulers. So with more on what's happening in Sri Lanka, what the broader picture is, I'm joined from London uh, by Alan Keenan. He's a senior consultant with the International Crisis Group who focuses specifically on Sri Lanka. Thank you so much for your time. You're you're welcome. So for listeners who may not know how we got here, uh, just how much have things deteriorated in Sri Lanka in in recent years? It sounds like it's really gone uh, into a complete nosedive, economically at least. Yeah, it has. Um, I mean, it was always, I think, skating on thin ice um, for years, living off debt and um, just kind of scraping by, but looking healthy because its growth figures were high and its um its standard of living was was quite high it was it was an upper middle income country um before it it started crashing but a series of um really bad decisions by the uh by the president who seems possibly on the verge of resigning um Gotabia Rajapaksa who's just fled the country after massive protests stormed his office and his residence he took a series of of quite um disastrous decisions beginning with massive tax cuts then COVID hit, which wiped out the tourism industry. Uh, then he um, uh, forced an organic farming policy overnight in order to save money, which in fact crashed the agricultural sector and has led to food shortages, as well as costing a lot more money than they saved in the end. Um, and all of this has, uh, as their their ability to, um, to uh, buy the imported goods that they need to survive, the especially fuel, but also food and medicine has dwindled as their foreign currency reserves dwindle. So by early, early this year, early 2022, things were um, really coming to a head. And for the previous year, many economists, basically all objective economists and analysts were urging the government to go to the IMF for a bailout before things got to the point of absolute emergency. But unfortunately, um, out of pride and out of nationalism and out of um, boneheaded economic thinking, um, the the government thought it could sort of 
um, scrape by with a, a little bit of help here and a little bit of help from some other country. But unfortunately, that ran out in April when they officially um, defaulted on their debt. But by this point, they literally were out of money. So the big problem now for average Sri Lankans is there's no fuel uh, for their cars. There's no cooking gas to cook. Uh, there's um, either shortages of food or incredibly high priced food. Um, there's lack of medicines and the whole country is ground to a halt because there's no, there's no fuel for the cars and the buses and the tuk-tuks and the, and the motorcycles. People are standing in queues overnight, sometimes multiple nights. It's really reached absurd and um, really uh, scary proportions. So this has then generated a quite a massive protest movement, which has waxed and waned, but waxed considerably last weekend when they, when crowds of certainly hundreds of thousands, possibly as many as a million people gathered in Colombo and um, demanding the resignation of Kotabi Rajapaksa and his prime minister, Ranil Vikramasinghe, and succeeded in pushing out Kotabia, although neither Kotabia, the president, nor uh, Ranil, the um, prime minister, have yet formally resigned. We saw the images, of course, of people swimming in his pool and watching news of their own protests on his televisions. Um, what what prompted the sudden surge? What prompted them to be able, finally, to uh, to push the government out? It seemed like they were well entrenched for a long time. Well, they, um, as I said, it came in waves. So there was a big wave, and you know, the, March saw sort of small little neighborhood protests, people banging pots and pans, holding signs saying, "Go to go home." Uh, go to being short for Gotabia, the president. Um, and uh, that sort of escalated up until the very end of the month where there was a, a kind of a, 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 there was a big protest outside his private residence, which was repressed violently by the military. Then that escalated the situation um, and led to an encampment um, being set up uh, called the Gotogogama or Gotogo um, village uh, just outside his office in uh, his main office in Colombo. That then um, sort of went along for through April and into May when um, there was another upsurge, uh, which forced out the prime minister. Uh, so the, uh, the, the Rajapaksa, it's not just been Gotabia Rajapaksa running Sri Lanka, it's been his whole family. So his brother before him, Mahinda, was president for 10 years and then was made prime minister when Gotabia became president in 2019. But there are also brothers Chamal and Basil and nephew Namal, son of Mahinda. So there was a whole uh, family dynasty, as well as lots of other cousins not, I've not named, who were running the country for most of the last 20 years. Um, and the anger was directed at all of them. And most of them were forced out by the middle of May, but Gotabia had hung on. And he then invited Ranil Vikramasinghe to become his president. Uh, I mean, his prime minister. Ranil had been prime minister many times before, was apparently from the opposition, but has lo long had a, a, a close relationship with the Rajapaksas across the political divide and was very happy to come into power and try to rescue the economy, but also, I think, to try to rescue the Rajapaksas. And this undercut sort of um, weakened the energies of the protest movement in May and into June. But then as the as the crisis, as the hardship grew, grew greater and greater and the fuel ran out and the lines got longer and the medicine ran out and people couldn't afford to eat, 
the anger just rose. And so there was a call for a final mobilization on the 9th, Saturday, the 9th of July, which met with this massive response of, you know, as I said, certainly hundreds of thousands of people traveled from all across the country, you know, average people hopping on buses, uh, commandeering trains, getting rides from friends, walking long distances. So it was just, I think, sheer numbers and sheer enthusiasm and sheer anger uh, uh, that um, finally the crowds were big enough to, to physically storm through and make the place ungovernable. And that's what I think finally got Gotabia to promise to resign. But as I said, again, he has not resigned. He has left the country. He's wandering around somewhere. He went to the Maldives and is reportedly on his way to Singapore. Um, and his, he's then designated Ranil Vikramasinghe as the acting president um, and this arrangement could go on for quite a while. In, in fact, it could go on indefinitely, although most expect that Gotabia will, in fact, resign once he has found a safe haven. So as long as he is president, he is protected by head of state immunity from criminal prosecution. Uh, and he is accused of a multiple series of crimes, of war crimes, of murders, of, assa- of abductions, of corruption. So um, whether he's guilty or not, he's, he wants to protect himself. And so he's looking for somewhere that will give him asylum and will allow him to be protected against prosecution before he finally resigns. In the meantime, though, I gather there's a state of emergency in place. Um, are things looking looking bleak in the next little while? It seems like at least the government's trying to clamp back down on these protests uh, while they try to sort out the governance. Yeah, well, that's the... Um, I think I think there's a, that's the new dynamic. The, the two new things that have changed today have um, been Ranil taking up the post, not just of prime minister, but also acting president, um, and then immediately declaring a state of emergency. In fact, he tried to declare the state of emergency before he was acting president, which he didn't have the power to do, and then later did it again when he was when he was acting president. So he was very eager to impose a state of emergency. He has called the protesters fascists which is a gross exaggeration. Uh, while there has been some perhaps overly enthusiastic um, uh, statements and, um, uh, and you know, from the protesters, they've been overwhelmingly peaceful, well-behaved, playful, um, really quite creative. And actually, I think overall have been a remarkably positive um, achievement or a factor in Sri Lankan politics the last few months. So um, he's clearly very angry at the fact that his house was burned down on on Saturday, uh, the 9th of July, presumably by some protesters, although the evidence is not conclusive about who did it. Um, But um, he's clearly angry about that and wants to um, clamp down. The military, I think, seems caught a little bit. They, um, m- some of them might well like to um, move in a more repressive um, direction. But from what I'm hearing, they're reluctant to do so, so long as um, the entire political establishment is not behind them. So um, until, um, until they're confident that they could re- um, repress the, um, the protests more violently without um, paying a price, I think they will be restrained. And I think one of the key a key um, messages that needs to come from the UN and from influential governments like the US and Canada and um, you know, a whole range of other EU and India and Japan, to name a few, uh, is that the military must not um, use live ammunition to, to um, control the crowds, that they must keep, keep the restraint that they've had the last few months. Um, because the protesters are angry, but they are relatively st- restrained. But if, if they start dying in the streets, due to military firing, 
um, then all you know, all holds are are off, or whatever the uh, whatever the right expression is. We, yeah. we were heading in in quite a dangerous direction then. Already a very volatile situation. I'm speaking with Alan Keenan. He's a senior consultant with the International Crisis Group. His focus is on Sri Lanka. We're talking about the situation right now in Sri Lanka. The president has fled uh, the country. He was meant to resign. He has not yet resigned. Uh, and that comes after a, a long series of protests, as Alan said, that waxed and waned, but certainly waxed over the last few days, resulting in uh, the storming, essentially, or the takeover of the presidential palace by protesters. Again, all of this due to just an absolute collapse in the Sri Lankan economy, the lack of availability of uh, certainly no foreign reserves, so the lack of all imports that they rely on, such as fuel and uh, and medicine, as well as foodstuffs and other things, and just the sheer anger that that provoked against uh, a long-standing family regime, the Rajapaksa family in, uh, in Sri Lanka. When we come back, what's next, and what could this mean for other countries around the world? World, for leaders there who are also dealing with populations that are growing angrier over the cost of living. We'll get to that after this. My guest this half hour is Alan Keenan. He's a senior consultant with the International Crisis Group who focuses on Sri Lanka. He's speaking to us tonight from London. So none of this uh, seems to solve the main problem, of course, which is the lack of everything. Uh, how does that get sorted out while all this continues to be as chaotic as it is? Yeah, well, I think... Um no one knows, to be honest. Uh, so the best case scenario is that uh, Ranil ends up uh, resigning as as acting president and prime minister. Uh, the speaker takes over, or um, someone else takes over as the as the as the acting interim uh, president, and then Parliament chooses another uh, a president to um, sit out. The, to take over the remainder of Kotabia's term and to choose and form a new government. Um, hopefully that, that new government will uh, be able to achieve some kind of consensus on the economic reforms that are needed to persuade the IMF to offer the kind of um, emergency assistance that is needed to stabilize the economy, which is also needed to win the support of all the international creditors to whom Sri Lanka owes some 50 plus billion dollars uh, and who will need to sign off on any deal. So um, you need a stable government to agree to those uh, those reforms. Of course, those reforms will not be popular with the people because they will involve some degree of austerity. They will involve higher taxes um, and, and a whole series of other reforms, the exact nature of which is not known, um, but they will certainly not be popular. So one of the big questions is which, you know, who wants to I think I think politicians right now are torn. Um, they they would of course most of them would like to be president or would like to be in charge, but on the other hand, they know that they're going to have to implement policies that are almost certainly going to be unpopular. So they're also a bit reluctant to step into that seat. So it's a very complicated um, maneuvering happening right now in parliament. But hopefully, some kind of um, uh, new government and new president emerges that has some degree of popular legitimacy that is not seen as simply continuing the legacy of the Rajapaksas by some other means, as has been the problem with Ranil Vikramasinghe. Um, and can they can agree on some deal with the IMF and then with the creditors. Uh, and then eventually uh, by the end of the year, early next year, the money might start flowing. But even in that best case scenario, they still have, most people estimate a six month window where they simply don't have the money. So they're hoping uh, one idea that Ranil Vikramasinghe as prime minister has floated is some kind of donor conference with China, India, Japan, and Western governments. Um, but that seems a bit far-fetched to me. Um, uh, I think the best case scenario is they can cobble together 
some more credit lines from India and some other uh, other folks, and that enough humanitarian aid can come in in the form of food and medicine uh, from various sources um, to just prevent a complete a complete meltdown and a complete um, humanitarian catastrophe, which is really sad to see because Sri Lanka, for all of its faults, for its you know long running civil war, for its various uprisings and terrible political violence. It's been a relatively prosperous country, and while there have been certainly poor people who have struggled to eat, on the on the macro scale, it's been a, a quite a prosperous country um, with the sort of um, a large middle class, uh, high living, you know, high high standards um, of public health and of education and of literacy, uh, and all of that is is at the risk, you know, is on the brink of being lost. I think, and I think a lot of one of the major factors that's happening is a lot of Sri Lankans are seeing their their middle class lifestyles dissolve in front of them, or their aspirations for middle class lifestyles suddenly become out of reach. And the psychological and the political effects of that, I think, are long term and are yet to be fully um, fully manifested. Yeah, and certainly there's so much demand right now out there for humanitarian aid, for aid in general. We know that because of what's happening around the world, that a lot of countries are facing a perilous futures, and a lot of people are looking for help right now, Sri Lanka amongst them. Thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate your insight on this. Um, fascinating. We'll see what happens next for Sri Lanka. Certainly um, sad to see a country that was, again, as you mentioned, uh, such a shining light for so long in terms of its, uh, in terms at least of its economic development, uh, fall on very hard times. Thank you again. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me.